The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 140. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, The Conscience of the King. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter where we're at SQPN and make sure to leave comments and share the, the episodes as you see them. That really helps the podcast a lot. So we are talking about this original series episode, The Conscience of the King, from the first season. It's the uh, tw- number 12th episode. So the, uh, it depends on how we've talked about before, how uh, the original series is rebroadcast, and there's, there's different versions of the, of the order, and we're just going off a particular order that I found at Memory Alpha. Yeah, when you, that's- you look at Amazon, we talked about the next episode before this, and it gets <laughs> yeah. really confusing. It- it gets confusing. So we're just, we're, we have picked an arbitrary order and this is how we're going. <laughs> well, and we didn't invent this order, but we picked right. one of the orders arbitrarily. Yeah, I do have to tell on myself because when, when Dom told us that this was the episode we we're going to do this week, I kind of groaned because I was thinking, oh, great, we're going to go do another Discovery episode because there's a oh, Discovery right. episode, Context is for Kings. Yes. And that's what I was saying. It's like, we're going back to Discovery again. <laughs> Not yet. Is, and, and, uh, <laughs> And I, I will say, by the way, the Discovery writers wish they could write an episode this good. Yes. Let's yes. put it that way. Yeah. I cringed for a different reason. So this episode, in case you're trying to remember which one this was from the original series, this one is Jim Kirk versus Space Hitler with lashings of Shakespeare. <laughs> yep. And I, I'm, I'm curious. Now, Father's already given an indication Last time when Dom announced that we'd be doing this one next, he was very positive and looking forward mm-hmm. to it. I'm yep. wondering if he still is. I have all I've seen this one several times in the past, but it's not one of my most watched episodes because my and I haven't watched it in a long time because my memory is I hate it. And <laughs> and so but because of how positive Dom was, I thought, well, maybe I've misjudged this. So I'm gonna suspend judgment going into it. And and look for the good and see how much it changes my opinion. And it changed it a little, <laughs> but not a lot. To me, this is still a lower third. If you if you rank all of the episodes in terms of, you know, upper third, middle third, and lower third, this is definitely a lower third episode mm. to me. And and maybe I, I would probably say it's even a lower quarter episode. Mm. But now, Father, you've indicated you really liked it. Dom, mm-hmm. upon your rewatch, how did you like it? Did you did it meet your expectations again, or I were still there any enjoy qualifiers? It. No, mm-hmm. I, I I would not put this in my top ten 
of mm-hmm, episodes. Mm-hmm. That's that's for sure. And uh, it might be, I'd say, in the toward the bottom of the of the upper third, if, if I was right. to make such distinctions. Mm-hmm. But there's still lots. There's there's plenty of cheese. 60s style mm-hmm. cheese mm-hmm. in this and there's still and i can look past that that's not yeah. what ruins it for me and there's some cringy stuff but i really and i think there are elements and we'll get into it of kirk's wrestling with morality the 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 gray areas surrounding caridian and kodos and the, some of that stuff i really enjoyed i and i like the it some of this interaction between kirk and spock and mccoy i mm-hmm. uh, enjoyed all that uh, yeah, there there are some places where it kind of falls apart, but I still really liked it. And, and you know, I just there are there are and there are questionable aspects to the plot that they try to fix in uh, alt, uh, other media. Let me mm-hmm, I'll, I'll get into that as well too. Mm-hmm. But uh, but no, I still like it. I still do. Okay, <laughs> Father, you wanted to add something? Well, and I, I should mention too, you know, to remind people that this is my first watch through of TOS. I, oh. you know, I've seen, I've seen TNG and beyond, you know, dozens of times, but I've really never watched TOS. So, and I'm, I'm doing that on purpose. I mean, I could go and sit down and binge watch TOS and be fine, yeah. with, but I'm purposely doing it so that when, you know, I'm coming here, this is my first reaction to it. Nice. You know, so I, I don't have quite the background with this episode. I, I really went into this episode blind. And, uh-huh. and I think that maybe that was part of my, my enjoyment was just being able to enter into the episode a little okay. bit. So. Well, allow me to disillusion you then. <laughs> um, so so we should start by explaining the title. Uh, the title, The Conscience of the King, is an allusion to Shakespeare's play Hamlet. And in this episode, we have a bunch of space actors who are playing Hamlet and Macbeth and other Shakespearean plays for people to preserve Earth drama heritage out among the stars. And that's a nice mm-hmm. idea. I like that. Um, the specific line, the conscience of the king, is, and this is clever, so I want to give the episode credit for this idea. In Hamlet, if you've, if you've never seen Hamlet, it's set in Denmark, and Hamlet is a prince of Denmark. His father has been, his father's ghost appears to him at the beginning of the play, and tells him that his uncle, Claudius, has killed him and then married his mother. So his uncle, Claudius, is a usurper of the throne who has now married the queen, Hamlet's mother, and it's Hamlet's job to get revenge on Claudius for what he's done. And Hamlet is kind of an indecisive guy. He's really passionate in some ways, but he's also really paralyzed in some ways. At one point, and this is one of the most chilling moments in the play, he comes across Claudius and could kill him. Mm. But Claudius is saying his prayers, and Hamlet is afraid that if he kills him while he's saying his prayers, he'll go to heaven. So it's mm. not enough <laughs> for Hamlet to just kill Claudius. He wants to kill him and send him to hell, which, right. is, which is really chilling and also is a mortal sin. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Hamlet's not exactly a spiritually pure person. But then there's a group of actors who show up in Hamlet to put on a play for the king. And Hamlet decides that he's going to engineer the play they put on to mirror what happened with his father and mother and Claudius. And he will trick his uncle into revealing the fact that he did indeed kill Hamlet's father. And so that's, uh, that's where we get the line, the play's the thing wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. 
he's going to get Claudius to betray his guilty conscience by putting on this play that mirrors his own circumstances. And so the play within a play is a, f- is a somewhat common theme in Shakespeare, and it plays mm-hmm. a particularly mm-hmm. important role here in Hamlet. And so here on Star Trek, we're going to have a play within a play. You know, within a play. <laughs> And if they were to pull it off right, they would do the same kind of thing that Hamlet did, which is use the performance to catch the the conscience of Space Hitler out. Now, they don't actually do it that way. They try, but they don't successfully do it. But we can yeah. talk about that as we go along. Yeah. Yeah. It, the elements, like it shares a lot of those same elements with the play. There's that the, the leader with the troubled conscience, his crimes being exposed sort of during a play at least the resolution of it during a play mm-hmm. uh and a daughter uh that well what happens to the daughter well i don't want to oh spoil yeah anything. well <laughs> in uh, in, a, in hamlet just say 16th century spoilers the da- the main daughter in hamlet ophelia goes mad yes yep uh so uh very so there's some some of the, these things one of the things i want to point about the episode is the 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 network and the, the production house both were afraid that this was not going to be a popular episode. They were, I they were concerned. That. Well, <laughs> part of it is because it's a talky episode with, with not mm-hmm. a lot of action, no monsters, no sci-fi gimmickry. It's, it's a, this is a dr- dramatic. Yeah. Straightforward you know, drama. This could take place on a, on a sailing ship, you know, or, a, you know, at a, a, a passenger liner across the Atlantic ocean. You know, this is, there's nothing very specifically, science fiction about this uh, yeah. particular plot so and that's uh, fine yeah but uh, yeah i'm okay with that uh, i do like the it begins with the the episode the fir- very first image begins with a, a plunging <laughs> dagger you know uh, like the the killing of someone with a dagger and it's it's a very dramatic way to open up a you know an episode i can imagine sitting down watching tv uh you know back in the 60s and this this is how star trek opens as someone being stabbed uh and mm. then only then do we realize it's part of a play they're doing macbeth at that point uh, with that one uh and so we have caridian who's the the head of this uh troop of actors this company um and who's asking you know after having killed king duncan uh whether the whole ocean could wash the blood from my hands and again we're we're kind of playing with this idea of truth being revealed through the play of kodos who's has mm-hmm. an ocean of blood on his hands that can't be washed away so the backstory to this is like I don't, 20 years ago on the planet yeah. Tarsus Four, and I like the name Tarsus Four. Yeah, uh, Tarsus is a city. It happens to be this mm-hmm. in 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 like Syria uh, or in ancient Syria. It's where uh, Saint Paul was from. He was a mm-hmm. native of Tarsus, and so on the colony Tarsus Four, which had eight thousand colonists, so a population of eight thousand, there was a there was a fungus that infected their food supply and almost completely destroyed it, and they couldn't get ships, they thought, in time, rescue ships in time. And so they had to, the leader of the colony, Kodos, had to make a decision, how am I going to handle this? And he had apparently some revolutionary ideas. He refers to a revolution. I'm not sure what that is. But mm-hmm. as governor, he decided the only way we're going to save anybody is if we kill half the population. And we're going to do it humanely. We're just going to disintegrate them. It'll be painless, but we've got to eliminate half the population. And he also was a eugenicist. Mm-hmm. So this is part of why he's space Hitler. 
because mm-hmm. Hitler not only conducted a genocide, but also one based on eugenic principles. Kados, based on his eugenics theories, decided which half of the people would die. So it wasn't a random lottery. Mm-hmm. And apparently there are only nine people who have survived out of the 4,000 that survived. Only nine can Rec- identify him, can recognize right. him on site. Which, and that's sort of my first big problem with this episode. It makes no yes. sense if you've got 4,000 mm-hmm. survivors that only nine people, two of whom were children or very young at yep. the time, could recognize. three recogn- of whom. Oh, okay. Including yeah. Riley. Yeah. Including yep. Riley, yeah. yeah. Only, only this handful of people could recognize the governor right. on site. Well, and in fact, Kirk later on will pull up an image of Kodos I know. on the v- yeah. so it, 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 this is this is again it makes absolutely no sense because <laughs> this is got the weakest a, point. Yeah. You've got pictures of Kodos before and after and just run biometric facial recognition. <laughs> My iPhone could do this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. This was always been the weakest point of this story is this 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 uh, premise that they built it on. Uh, and the book, the autobiography of James T. Kirk, a, a something that we actually gave away to patrons uh, uh, a couple years ago, was one of the patron benefits. So it's a book told from first person point of view of James Kirk reviewing his life, and they actually tell this story of what happened on Tarsus Four and provide an explanation for oh, it. Oh well, good for readers of the book, bad <laughs> for know, viewers of the episode. Yeah. No, I'm just saying if you if you want to kind of. Uh, settle your own, uns- you know, uh, your own uh, dislike of this, and you and you desperately want an explanation that that you know gives yeah. you some headcanon to make it work. You can find <laughs> it in there. They do a pretty good job of now, that. Now, remind me at the, at this time, Kirk would be what mid thirties, thirty five or so. Yeah, because yeah, I thought what I thought because he was supposed to be you know the youngest captain of Starfleet and all that, and yep. so he would have been a teenager at this right. point. Riley yes. would be. I would guess, you know, Ten, what, late 20s, eight? early 30s. Yeah. You know, I mean, so again, you know, about, you know, before preteen, you know, yep. so you're, you're, you, yeah, you are talking about children. And it does mention the episode that he purposely kept the children. He would kill the families, but he would keep the children. Right. Yes. And, so. and, and then, then, the, and then there's Kirk's friend who has called him to, invited him to this play, uh, Dr. Tom Layton. And he was yep. another, the same age as Kirk, uh, who was also a survivor. Although he apparently, uh, was injured in the destruction somehow. That's not explained, but he has a a, a, a prosthetic or a mask over half his face. He, he looks like the Phantom of the Opera, where half his face is covered by something. Right. Yeah, we're not told why, but it, you know, uh, but it, we're we're to presume that it's happened as a result of what happened on Tarsus Four. Yeah. And so Leighton is convinced that Caridian is Kodos, um, and called Kirk and the Enterprise to. The planet. This is Planet Q, which would, oh, I, you, uh, okay. <laughs> this is this is what people who weren't science fiction writers in the '60s would think a planet in the future might be named Planet yes. Q. Yeah, you yeah. know how many letters there are in the alphabet. Yeah, you know how many uh, how many planets. planets there are out there. Yeah, yeah. So, oh come on, uh, it's, it's Planet Q, Q U E U E, as in lining up. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. Everybody's no, in just line. Kidding. <laughs> so he called them there on a false pretense, he you know, of some scientific breakthrough. But he what he really wanted was to get Kirk there to to to, to confirm what Leighton believes is that this must be Kodos. Uh and, and Kirk and, sort of dismisses and, it. 
And the specific person he thinks it is is the leader of the actor troupe, who's a guy named Anton Caridian. Right. And as they're going to show Anton Caridian, or as they're going to discover, Anton Caridian's biography does not go past 20 years in the past. Right. And he shows up almost to the day after Kodos vanished. Oh, another mm-hmm. thing that makes Kodos Space Hitler is his body was burned. Yes. And so they had an unrecognizable burned body. And that's like what happened to Hitler. So yes. uh, at least the official story of what happened to Hitler, which we will be discussing on a future episode of Mysterious World, is <laughs> that Hitler killed himself in the bunker in April of uh, 1945, and he didn't want his body hu- publicly humiliated by the Russians who were invading. And so he had his body cremated and then buried surreptitiously. And so we didn't right. have a recognizable Hitler body. And there's mm-hmm. a question, is this, a, is this really him? Is it a double? Is it someone else? And so that's yeah. another aspect that makes Kodo space Hitler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's rumors that Hitler had gone to like Argentina with a bunch of his other SS friends and yes. or Indonesia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kirk goes back to the Enterprise, does a little research and gets suspicious. So he <laughs> decides to Just attend. Look at his driver's license, dude. It's the same guy. <laughs> exactly. 20 years is not that long for someone. Like, Koda, like, Caridian didn't even get plastic surgery. Like, it's yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. he's, like, it's, it's still the same guy. He, he really, you know, he really must have been short on cash or something because, you know, there are better ways to establish a legend for yourself and go deep cover. Yeah. <laughs> like plastic surgery, take over the identity of someone who did exist but is now dead so that you right. can hook into their backstory, change computer records, change your face, all kinds of things you could do that this guy totally did not do. And then he, despite despite the fact he was a public figure before, he decides to become an actor, another public figure. Where people are oh. gonna see him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that you you go underground. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> so so Kirk gets suspicious and goes to Layton has scheduled this cocktail party where he's invited the acting troupe to come so he can confront Caridian there. And so Kirk goes. And uh, did you notice at the party as as we see Kirk, you know, walking around, you hear that a jazzy version of the mm-hmm. Alexander Courage TOS theme in, yeah. playing yep. in the background. So I thought that was kind of fun, Kirk. Um, ends up meeting and flirting with Caridian's daughter Lenore, who is apparently we, we find out it's nineteen years old. So, um, yes, yeah. Kirk. Well, Kirk's a dog. So, uh, <laughs> and he moves. He moves fast. Let's say uh, oh, they yeah. go for they go for a walk. She invites him for a walk, so she's she, setting she, him up. She sure doesn't look or act nineteen years old, though. She no. acts like a much more mature woman. Right. Right. Uh, she and she's she's. As we'll realize later, she's playing Kirk because she's intending him to to stop and to kiss her at this particular place, but for him to stumble upon Tom Layton's body. So Layton is dead. She, so she maneuvered him to this place for him to discover this mm-hmm. for reasons? Uh, yeah, because, not- well, I don't know. I, it, it, I guess it's kind of a warning because so we've got kind of, we've kind of mentioned it here. She's crazy. She's killing off the last witnesses to her dad's crimes so that they can't right. harm him in the future. Her dad does not know she's doing this. She's just gone rogue and doing this on her own. Right. And so she killed, she's killed already apparently six of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. That are, that 
that we haven't seen, and then now she's killed Leighton, and she's going to kill Kirk, and she's going to kill Ensign Riley. And so this is all part of her elaborate plot. And so she's apparently in charge of the scheduling of the troop, and so she's been scheduling the troop in these different places. And the, the story is sort of misleads us in the beginning to think that Caridian is the one who is uh, killing right. off these people to cover up his, his crimes. But that the, the twist is that it will end up being Lenore. Leighton's wife, uh, after they discover his body and bring him back to the house, you know, this is the sixties. They don't do the whole like freak. The the wife freaks out, and as as would normally be the case, mm-hmm. she's just uh, mildly upset. <laughs> Although she does Stoic. cry with Kirk. Well, yeah. back in the sixties, everyone was on tranquilizers. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and so, but she asks what we're all thinking. Why was Tom killed if what he suspected wasn't true? As Kirk had been saying, you know, if Caridian, if Caridian's not Kodos, then why was he killed? Well, so this is another problem. Kirk is irrational in his mm-hmm. defense of Caridian throughout this episode. He <laughs> is constantly raising doubts about what is obvious to everybody else, including Spock. It's right. At least to this point. Oh, yeah. this is a man's life. I can't. I have to be absolutely sure. It's like, dude, that's what we have courts for. You've got <laughs> right. a credible report that this guy is space Hitler. Call in law enforcement. If you can't, don't have the authority to arrest him yourself, call the authorities and get this guy into the judicial system. That's what it's there for. Right. And, and, uh, oh, by although, the way, he's, he's the captain. Yeah. He has, especially once they're on the Enterprise, he has absolute authority to arrest him. That's kind of yeah, part right. of captain's prerogative. Yeah. It's on the frontier. You would, I think probably you could say, assume that in the future, you know, the, the law enforcement in space, you know, the, the Starfleet com- captains are law enforcement in, you know, in these frontier areas or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Kirk arranges to strand the troop. Uh, you know, they're supposed to get on a space liner and go to their next place. But he uh, is pals with the guy, captain of the space liner. And he arranges to strand the troop so he can come to their rescue. Oh, by the way, you notice the name of the space liner that's coming to pick him up? The Astral Queen. Yes. Which we also hear about in Battlestar Galactica. Right, both, both right. versions of it. That's right. That's right. Uh, he, Kirk doesn't say anything to Spock. Spock's perplexed. Uh, oh, and th- and this is just more of the problem I have with this episode. It's further irrationality on Kirk's part in order to drive the plot forward. This episode depends heavily on the irrational withholding of information. It's the same problem as in the uh, Sherlock Holmes stories, the Yellow Face or the Sussex Vampire. If People had acted rationally Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the story and said, well, here's what's going on. The story would have collapsed. And in Mm -hmm. the same way, if Kirk had acted rationally by just saying, okay, that looks like Caridian, let's arrest him and put him on trial, that would have been the rational thing. The episode would have collapsed in the first 10 minutes and we wouldn't have a story. So Kirk has to be consistently irrational all the way through to create drama. Not only does he, is he constantly worried about, is this really Caridian? Can I really believe, is this really Kodos? Can I really believe my eyes or not? He also is doing stuff like withholding information from Spock that causes mm-hmm. Spock to get suspicious of, is the captain even rational? So Spock is noticing this irrational behavior. He uh, has Riley demoted from communications back to engineering with no explanation. He yep. won't tell Spock why he's doing it. He won't even tell Spock. It's because we've got a potential war criminal on board, and I don't want him coming in contact with it. Hey, how about going to Riley and saying, you know, we have this potential war criminal on board. Could you come and maybe identify him and 
pick him out of a lineup or something like that. <laughs> you, it, it, there, you don't have to worry about Riley's going to go rogue or something like that. If you just treat him like a rational human being, the man is a Starfleet officer. Well, and so, it, it, well, spoiler, did. he does try to go rogue at the end. But. Well, he does, but yeah. you didn't have to have it go that way. If you, if you, the reason Riley goes rogue at the end is because he feels like this isn't being dealt with. Right. And if he felt like it is being dealt with up front, then, you know, that would have been the rational way to proceed. But no, Kirk has to irrationally withhold information to Admiral Holdo levels of secrecy that <laughs> yes. just cause problems. I could buy Kirk not arresting Caridian right off the bat, wanting to yeah. build a case and, de- and, and develop ev- evidence. Well, then that's, do that. That's fine. Which right. he does. It, I mean, well, he actually, I mean, they, they show him going through the computers, of course, they're, they're understanding what computers could do then versus what, we, again, our smartphones can do today is completely yeah. different. But, you know, he's going through the library, he's looking at the records, he's looking at, you know, I, I, I can even see him, you know, it's been 20 years, do I really remember what this guy looks like, you know, and, and that today, kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Today we'd collect DNA and do DNA sequencing, but they didn't have any of that then. So I, yeah. I'm okay with the waiting to arrest. But yeah, the the not telling anyone. You have to assume like it. It sort of builds in the idea that Kirk is being irrational because of tra- you know tra- trauma from the event or something along those right. lines. But yeah, he he should have been talking to other people. That does make more sense. Uh, you know, you could you you can make the case that maybe he's he's traumatized, but. Fixing in our head the flaws that are objectively there in the episode. I mean, I, I do like the fact that it allows for Spock and McCoy's scenes, which are you know, yeah. McCoy's basically like, I, I really don't care. Oh. I like I like when the you know first part there where he's trying to have a have a drink and he's like, I really don't care right now. I just want a drink. <laughs> McCoy's and this is so Dr. McCoy, we need to have a talk about your on the job drinking issue. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's clearly on duty. He's in sick bay. He's waiting for people to come in. And he says, this is the first time it's been slow enough for me to have a drink in a while. And it's like, okay, you're, dude, you're drinking on the job and you're a medical professional. This is not a good combination. Well, they, they, this was from the, from the beginning, from the cage. They had that yeah. Dr. Boyle was drinking with the captain. Oh, that, that's, they were off duty then. They're in the captain's quarters. I can handle yeah. that. This is, <laughs> he's sitting there in, in med bay waiting for patients to come in. Yeah, Having I mean, a drop it, of the true. Yeah. yeah well, they, I mean, <laughs> McCoy is supposed to be basically the old, uh, old West doctor. You know, you watch any yeah. like John Wayne movie or something like that. You always got the old, old West doctor who is usually about half drunk half the time. Yeah, uh, before yeah, uh, I want to talk about the Spock McCoy interaction, but I did want to, one little note. Uh, when Lenora comes on board, she comes on the bridge to ask for the captains to rescue the the troop. Um, as she's leave, as Lenora is leaving the bridge, Janice Rand is coming up in the turbo lift, and as she walks out, she gives her this really sour look, like, "What's yeah. this chippy doing here?" Exactly. I wanted to point out a little behind the scenes thing that that moment is grace lee whitney's final filmed appearance on the original mm. series uh huh. she had she had just found out she'd been fired basically mm. Ooh. Um, and she had been going through a lot of personal problems and and afterward uh she struggled with alcohol and other things like that and so mm-hmm. uh this would be her last time on the original series which is interesting given that we you know people trekkies generally think of her as part of the original crew uh, but she wouldn't show up on Trek again until the motion picture. We, we right. wouldn't see her again. So mm. very interesting uh, little little note there. But uh, that, yeah, that was her last. She does appear in the next episode that aired, mm-hmm. but that was filmed prior. 
But anyway. Oh, oh uh, by the way, there's an interesting mm-hmm. uh, exchange in when McCoy's boozing in, in, in uh, sick bay. Yep. yep. Where he offers Spock a drink. He's actually trying to push drinks on Spock, which is right. another sign of alcoholism. If you're trying to push drinks on other people to get them to drink with you so that your behavior seems normal. But Spock says, my ancestors or my father's race were spelled, spared the, the dubious benefits of alcohol. And McCoy says, now I know why they were conquered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, so, wow. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, apparently the Vulcans were conquered by somebody at some point. That, that's well, and the implication in context could be they were conquered in, into the Federation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's an interesting, yeah, yeah, a little bit that never was done anything with, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, we mentioned Lieutenant Riley, in case you're wondering. Yes, it is the same Lieutenant Riley from the Naked Time episode who was singing I'll Take You Home, Kylene. Yeah, <laughs> fortunately, he's much better. He's much better used as a character here. He's not nearly as yeah. annoying. It was exactly. supposed to be a different character, but then they hired the same actor and decided to make it the same character, which is fine. And well, he okay did get a promotion, though, because I, I think he was Ensign in, in uh, the first episode, but now he's Lieutenant. Yeah, uh, obviously uh, Kirk didn't hold it against him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was under the influence. We have a scene where we see the observation deck above the shuttle bay the, for the only time. This, yeah, this, uh, and that's scene. nice. Mm-hmm. We do get some super obvious double entendre uh, talking here. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> this was very 60s. All this ship, all this power surging under, get under control. Oh, I'm oh, like, she's whoa. Even, she's even more <laughs> yeah. burby than that. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I toned it down a bit because I, I turn red th- th- thinking about it. Um, <laughs> and then Kirk says, worlds may change, galaxies disintegrate. But a woman always remains a woman. And then and then Lenore's all this in power too. The Caesar of the stars and the Cleopatra to worship him. I'm like, yeah, this is to- this is peak sixties cringy man woman interaction. <laughs> it's very, very uh a little much. So Spock has been doing his own research and goes to talk to McCoy about Tarsus Four when Kodas decided who would live and die. And he, he's laying the pretext for a for an intervention with Kirk, yes. which we then see. But he's also, if he he's 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 at least the way they flesh this out in other episodes of the original series, he's laying the pretext for removing Kirk from command, right? Mm-hmm. For right, because these are the next two. Well, you got you got to have the the chief medical officer to invoke the equivalent of the twenty fifth amendment to say that Kirk is yep. unfit for command, and the first officer has to take control. Uh, so, meanwhile, Riley's been temporarily demoted back to engineering, where he's all alone on the late shift, and he calls mm. the rec room because he's lonely. And then we have Yohora singing him this song, Beyond in Terry's, while on the Vulcan lyre, while somebody poisons his food. And I felt like, was there not enough material to make a whole episode? Like, like why do we have this long <laughs> interlude of, of uh, Nichelle Nichols, who's a wonderful singer? Then mm-hmm. uh, you know, appreciate that, but why do we have this song in the middle of this episode? Well, it's it's to fill the runtime and to give us something to that he can focus on while a gloved hand mm-hmm. reaches in and uses a spray bottle to squirt something yep. into his milk that he's drinking. Yes. And the fact it's a glove, it's not just an ordinarily gloved hand. This is like industrial dishwashing gloves over a over an arm with an unrecognizable. Right. 
plasticky substance. So this is clearly there to keep us from realizing that the person poisoning his milk is a woman. Yeah. Because we could otherwise recognize from the from a bare hand or even an ordinary gloved hand in many cases whether it's a man or a woman doing this. Mm-hmm. Unless it's Seinfeld and she has man hands. Which, yeah. uh-huh. I don't know if you guys remember that Seinfeld episode. Didn't so, uh, see Seinfeld. Okay. Yeah, yeah. there's a there was a whole episode about a woman who had man hands. Uh so Kirk responds to Spock angrily because when Spock shows up, it, it's my personal business. And He's Spock a- says he is irrationally yeah. hostile to Spock. Yeah. Yes. And Spock says, uh, it's my business when it interferes with the ship. And McCoy jumps in correctly on Spock's side saying, yeah, this isn't just your personal business, uh, Captain. Well, especially uh, if it was this this uh, this space Hitler. Yeah, this is like official business at this point. You know, yeah. he needs to be arrested, et cetera, et cetera. So. Now, Kirk says something interesting here. Oh, Jimmy, did you have something you wanted to add to well, that? Well, I was going to say, McCoy kind of, he's he's kind of on both sides in this, which yeah. is interesting. One of the things he says, he also challenges Kirk by saying, are you after justice or vengeance? Because Kirk says, I'm after yeah. justice. It's like, okay, yeah, then go arrest the guy and put him into the justice system. Right. But Kirk acknowledges that he's not sure, does he want justice or vengeance? And this is very hard to explain. If he's really being torn between justice and vengeance, he should be wanting to go after this guy emotionally, mm-hmm. and he's not. He's hanging back irrationally from doing what needs to be done. But Kirk then says, I've placed my command in jeopardy. And it's like there's another illustration on the part of the writers that they recognize Kirk is acting irrationally in this plot, and they haven't done anything to explain that they haven't established that he's dealing with ptsd or anything like that he's he's doing the opposite of what you would expect someone bent on vengeance to do here he's hanging back irrationally right right and and his his feelings with lenore is uh maybe confusing things which they bring up later on and that sort of stuff um so i i did like his his discussion though of like he's not they made it a little more complex. Like Kirk, it's not just no, I'm in it for the justice, uh, or I'm in it for vengeance. But he, Kirk, doesn't know. He recognizes his own weakness in that sense. So I did like that. So then we have a shift. Like we have a jump in time. McCoy is gone. Uh, where Kirk and Spock are still in Kirk's quarters, and then they start hearing a phaser on overload. Uh, at, at which point Kirk calls a double red alert, which is twice only time as bad we, as a regular. Only time we hear a double <laughs> red alert. Yes, this is the, this isn't just a regular red alert. It's a double red alert, so it's bad. Uh, <laughs> they go to evacuate part, this part of the ship or whatever, um, while Kirk looks for it in his quarters and tears everything apart. I love it when uh, he opens a book. <laughs> yeah, for it in there. yeah. <laughs> I, I like that he eventually finds it. It's in the red alert signal thing yeah. in his yeah. quarters, and so he like pries off the cover and takes it out of there, and then runs into the hall and puts it in a garbage chute and. Yeah. The garbage chute is actually an interior garbage chute. I mean, it's you look at the curvature of the hallways, and it's going to be yeah. going deeper into the saucer section rather than quickly out of it. But uh, yeah. apparently, it's it's going it, to in any event, it gets outside the ship before it blows. Yeah, it says vacuum something something or other. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so apparently, if you need to get something off the ship, really. <laughs> You know, if you want to get rid of your uh, yogurt well, cup really quick outside the ship, 
Of course, it happens to be phaser size, so I mean that that's very convenient. It just Luckily, happens to fit the phaser perfectly. Well, maybe you have phaser overloads as a thing. Maybe that's just like, oh, my phaser's overloading. Hold on. Oh, I hit the wrong button again. Got to throw it out. Say, if that's their garbage chute, they must have really small waste baskets in their quarters. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so uh, Kirk finally goes to confront Caridian in his quarters, who doesn't seem at all surprised to be asked if he's Kodos. Um, and I have to say, the actor Arnold, who, who plays Kodos Caridian, Arnold Moss, has a great deep voice for the role, mm. which is good because the voice is so important. The voice is the key to everything here. So I like the, his his voice acting in this. Uh, so it's really good. And I, I have in my notes that he, he does reasonable acting in this yeah. episode. I mean, with the script, which I don't like at all, he does a good job executing what's in the script. Mm-hmm. And and what he does, what Kirk does is has Code, uh, Caridian read Kodos's speech from the Tarsus Four massacre into the computer for a voice comparison, which is uh, you know an uh, interesting little bit then of do future later, tech. They, yeah. Which they then do manually because they basically get the voice prints and yeah, <laughs> there is that yes. line them up, but yeah, it's future tech. Caridian criticizes Kirk as a symbol of our technical society mechanized, electronicized, not very human. You've done away with humanity, the striving of man to achieve greatness through his own resources and without mercy. But it's interesting because Kirk actually dismisses the, like, the, he gets the voice rant later and says, I can't make my judgment just based on what the computer says. I have to do it from my humanness. So he's not really this symbol of the, well, and whereas Kodos. You, but dude, all you need is probable cause. And the <laughs> yeah. voice print has given you probable cause. Arrest the guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the, the basis of the problem is, is that Kirk isn't looking to arrest. He's looking to, to, to be judge and jury of, yeah. Co- of Kodos. And that's that. And may, I don't know if that's a flaw in the concept of the script or just a flaw in Kirk that he's disobeying or something along those lines. They don't spell it out. But I think, yeah, they, I think it's a flaw in the script because Spock mm-hmm. should be saying if if they want to portray Kirk as being irrational in this way because of his history, then Spock needs to be pointing out what Kirk should do. Right. And Spock right. is not pointing that out. So that tells me it's a script flaw. Well, and Kirk here says he's not looking to arrest. Like he's basically he, he kind of says as he's dismissed by Caridian, you know, if I'd gotten everything I wanted out of this encounter, you might not out of might not have gotten out of this room alive, which you know is supposed to shock us because Kirk is the hero. You know he's not supposed to, you know, murder someone in vengeance. Uh, so well, that, and, and that there's this theme of you being, being human and mercy and all that stuff. And of course, you know, yeah. mercy is always is used in a very, as, as we find out later, perverted way. You know, mercy being just forget it all happened, right? As opposed know. to the justice. Well, and where was Kodos's mercy in back in right. the day? Now Kirk says uh, to Lenora comes out of the other room and confronts Kirk and he, he's and you know what where's your mercy captain and he says uh, if he's Kodos then I've shown him more mercy than he deserves and if he isn't Kodos then I'll let you off at Benicia their destination and no harm mm-hmm. done and Lenora says who are you to say that what harm was done and Kirk says who do I have to be which is a, a, a Not an interesting very question line yeah like, what does he mean by that like who do I have to be to say that no harm was done? Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's just to give him something to say so he can leave the yeah. room while saving face as captain. But it doesn't yeah. really seem to mean very much. It gives him the last word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then McCoy does another stupid thing. Oh. Apparently, he's still he's still drinking. 
on the job. <laughs> and he's he's sitting there in his office with Kevin Riley in the other room, just yeah. mere feet away. Yes. And he's dictating his medical log at full volume, saying mm-hmm. that Riley's medically capable of being released now. He's recovered from his milk poisoning. But Kirk has kept him, has ordered him kept here in sickbay to keep him from interacting with the guy he thinks is Kodos the Executioner. Who killed Riley's family. <laughs> who killed Riley's <laughs> family, his parents. And and Riley overhears this, as he would, given this setup. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so he, he sneaks out of sickbay. And it's like, McCoy, dude. <laughs> Stop. Stop drinking. They could have. They could have <laughs> staged this in a way. I mean, if he had just lowered his voice, yes, and they had portrayed O'Reilly as having to strain to hear this, this would be better. Yeah, but it's he's just sitting there announcing this to everybody in sick bay, you know, including the guy in the other room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's 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 on McCoy. Uh, so Kirk and Riley is showed up at the, the so the, the the players are putting on Hamlet. In the ship's theater, which looks suspiciously like engineering, and uh, they and uh, Riley has gone there with a phaser to confront and kill uh, Kodos slash Caridian on um, stage, and then he'll yell six Semper Tyrannus and run off and <laughs> die in a barn fire, maybe. <laughs> oh wait, that yes. was John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> yes, and then uh, it's, but Kirk uh, intercepts him and convinces him not to. Uh, kill Caridian. Oh, not uh, only that, Kirk interrupts attempted murder and then lets the perp go. Yeah, well, I think Kirk's feeling Without feeling discipline. what what Riley's feeling. So, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, though, there's and this is the closest we come to the conscience of the king bit. As mm-hmm. as O'Reilly as Kirk is intercepting O'Reilly, he they're talking and O'Reilly is talking about how Kodos murdered uh, my whole family. And at the moment, in they're putting on Hamlet on mm-hmm. stage, and they're doing the scene, they're doing the ghost scene from the beginning of the play. And right. so uh, Kodos is out on stage, and he's got a mask that he's holding up to signal that he's a ghost. And as, as he's delivering his lines, there's a pause, and he hears Riley's voice from behind stage talking about how Kodos murdered his parents. And we can see Kodos... kind of react to that he like pauses or flinches a little bit and that's where they're trying to show us the conscience of the king is being pricked by something that happens during the course of a play but it's not at all an exact match for what happens in hamlet sure and he does deliver the line thy soul frees thy young blood at as riley says that so it's got a like sort of double meaning there um now lenore shows up and Caridian comes back, and there's this this three way encounter between Kirk, Caridian, and Lenore. And Caridian doesn't realize that Lenore knows his real identity. He, you know, you are the one thing untouched by my crimes. He he, he says, mm-hmm. um, and but she's he this is where she does, reveals. He yeah. also doesn't know she's a psychopath who has been killing people she perceives as threats to him. Right. right. She she's she reveals she's been killing those who could identify. And this is all very Shakespearean. This is the sort of thing Shakespeare would, this convoluted mm. a bit of things. It's also an ex- extreme form of enabling. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, I have to say, the actress who plays Lenore, she does a pretty good job of looking cra- like at crazy pants, the cuckoo. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> like this madness in her eyes. Well, and well, uh, yeah, they do the zoom in on her eyes, and they're wide open, and looks yes. crazy, and, and they light yeah. it in such a way as to make it look like this, this the glinty eyed, weird, you know, I, and I, none, none of the usual soft focus yeah. Star Trek soft focus, no. you know, that they no. do on women. Very harsh. Uh, she yells, "I would have killed a world to save him," and uh, which you know is ironic, given that the you know the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He killed half a world to save. Yeah the other half so you know that this it's sort of showing that 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 she's cut from the same cloth and then as lenore goes to shoot kirk with the phaser that kirk stupidly let her get off or no the the security guard she yeah, let he calls her the guard to him. arrest him and she grabs the phaser off the guard these guards are terrible at keeping the <laughs> phaser security <laughs> uh they do this too often they need retraining uh caridian throws himself in front of kirk and lenore shoots him by mistake and that's where she has this break with reality, and she starts doing all the lines from the play of uh, the 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 actor the uh, character in and Hamlet, yeah. who has killed her father Claudius, and then she's hauled off, and Caridian dies. And we're told later that she's like had a complete psychotic break and thinks her father's still alive and is playing to sold out mm-hmm. audiences, and they're gonna try to help her with their twenty third century space medicine. Mm. So, and that and at the end on the bridge, you have uh, Kirk and McCoy talking. And Co- McCoy asks Kirk, "Did you really care for Lenore?" And Kirk doesn't answer; just gives the order to leave orbit. And McCoy's, you know, you're not going to answer my question, are you? And he Kirk just says, "Ahead, warp, warp back to one." Yeah, and, yeah. and McCoy says, "Well, that's sort of an answer." <laughs> and, <laughs> we we, and we were told earlier that he had bizarrely fallen in love with space Hitler's space daughter because at one point in she accuses him of just using her to get close to her father and he says yes in the beginning I was doing that but then it became something more than that because you always have to do that in these stories (laughs) you always fall in love with the person you're using to to get you know romantically or whatever so um all right any last notes on this episode father Father? Well I, well, I will finish up by saying that, yes, my, my impression of this episode has been duly ruined. Thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but now I hate it. it. Is, but it is still better than most Discovery episodes. So <laughs> I know, very low bar to clear. L- but, low bar. But, Jimmy? So uh, there are loads and loads of Shakespeare allusions in this. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're watching this episode and they're saying something that seems weird or kind of a little unexpected turn of phrase there it's likely to be a shakespeare thing yeah and my overall general uh assessment of the episode in my notes is dreary with occasional moments of romance <laughs> <laughs> so uh i i am in agreement with ronald d moore who was who worked on uh, uh ds9 and was the executive producer of battlestar Galactica as yeah, he says this was his favorite episode the, of the original series, which I think is wow. kind of weird because mm-hmm. there are better, mm-hmm. there are many better episodes. But City on the Edge of Forever. No yeah. kidding. Yeah, yeah. But I do agree with him that this, I I, I like Kirk in this episode. In just, despite whatever the, the the script flaws were, I like the idea of the the that he's haunted by the past and trying to balance his duty as a captain and his duty to justice with his. The pain of the the what he suffered as a child, essentially, mm-hmm. and and you know his friend being killed and that sort of thing, 
So I did like those th- those aspects of it, and that's one of the things I like about the story. And I like the, I I really like the the, the Arnold Moss as Caridian uh, slash Kodos. Also, Kod- the, this is where the Simpsons get the alien characters, <laughs> Kang and Kodos. Yeah. So the, there, those are some of the elements I really enjoyed about this uh, episode, and it, I, I'm probably influenced by when I having seen this when I was younger and being wicked impressed by the Shakespeare stuff. Uh, hmm. So that might be also part of why I like it so much. <laughs> uh, so, uh, all right, let's uh, wrap things up there. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Andrea M., Laura R., Mary Ellen R., Robert B., and Alfredo M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. Now's a great time to become a StarQuest patron, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you become a new patron at $10 a month, after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all our shows, including this one, making your gift go even further. If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now's the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of the original series episode, The Conscience of the King? Top third, lower third, middle third? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Next Generation episode, Evolution. That's the Season 3 first episode. So until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, spare me your philosophical metaphors, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs>